You can be seated, but I want to ask you to just stay in this uh, mode, in this attitude, um, and we're just going to kind of stay here uh, this morning, and we'll go in and out of worship as we look at worship today. Um, so just kind of keep yourself locked in place. Don't, don't switch over to classroom mode or anything like that. We're not going to do that. So I want you to think about what just happened. Uh, I, I, what is it that just happened? Because you all know that, that more was happening than just singing a song, right? I mean, something was happening. I mean, we're worshiping a God that we can't see with our eyes. And so doesn't it follow that things are happening that we can't see with our eyes when we do that? So what is worship? And there are lots of definitions to that. There are lots of answers to that. I've heard a hundred of them. And most of them are accurate because worship isn't such a simple thing that you can just slap one simple, quick definition on it and call it good. And when I think back to the first time that I was in a worship service like this, a corporate worship service, other people there worshiping God, I was really a small person at the time. And uh, I mean, I don't know maybe six, seven years old is probably as early, as far back as I can remember. But the same type of thing was happening. It looked different. It looked something like this. Go ahead and put that picture up. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, the 70s, the 80s, just regular room lights, couple guys, simple instruments, but people were worshiping God. And using whatever technology and resources they had available to do that. And as years passed and time progressed, those resources and that technology changed and grew or whatever and became more accessible and more affordable. And worship may, in, in a service like this, may look a little different today. In fact, in some bigger churches, it looks like this. Wow. But I don't have a problem with either one of those pictures. Because here's the thing. If we understand what worship is, if we understand what's happening and we understand why we're doing it, then it really doesn't matter if you're in a living room or a hotel conference room or a gigantic auditorium, if you have house lights or stage lights it doesn't really matter as long as you understand what's happening. So I want to talk about two real quick things before we dive in to what worship is. Because first of all, most people would agree that worship is not a concert. Not in the way we think of a concert. But it's important to point that out. Because if you walk in here in the middle of what was just going on, it kind of looks like a concert, 
right? I mean, you've got an auditorium, you have a stage, you have a band, you have lights, you have a sound system. You got all the stuff you need to have a concert. And you have an audience. And so it's easy to walk in here and think, oh, this is a concert. But my second point is, it is a concert. It's just not the way you think it is. All of those elements, like I said, are in place. But the roles aren't what you think. Because make no mistake, there is an audience. But you're not the audience, right? And there are performers. But these guys aren't the performers. You are. These guys are here just to help you to keep you together, to try to keep you singing on the same key and clapping on the same beat. That's why they're here. But you're here to perform for your audience. That's what's happening. And so, yeah, it is a concert. So we have to understand this. If we can understand what's happening and why we're doing it, then there is a breakthrough for you in worship to go to deeper places, to go uh, to a more significant, deeper connection with the Spirit of God when you worship. And that's what I want to see happen today. So, what is worship? Number one, it's a response. It's a response to revelation. When you begin to sing songs, and I'll be honest with you, just a few minutes ago when we were singing that song, I'm like, oh, man. How am I going to get up there and talk? I'm like messed up. Because what's happening when I'm, when I'm singing highest praises, Lord of all, I'm not just singing words. Something in my spirit's reacting to that. Something inside of me is reverberating, resounding to that truth, to, to who God is, His nature. Something's happening, and that's worship. When you begin to think about, meditate on, sing about the nature of God, His goodness, His greatness, His majesty, His holiness, His power, and it becomes more than just academic, intellectual exercise, but you begin to get a revelation of the truth of who God is, it draws a response out of you, and that's worship. There's a, uh, an account in the book of Revelation. I read through this last night. I'm just going to kind of describe it to you today. But in Revelation 4, John's talking about seeing the throne of God. And he describes all this stuff. When you read these accounts, whether it's in Revelation or Isaiah or wherever, they're really bizarre and really strange. But if you think about it, why would it not be strange? Why would it be? Why would we expect what we would see around the throne of God to look like something we'd see around here? I mean, it's altogether different. And so John is trying to wrap his head around what he's seeing and describe it. And one of the things that he describes are these four creatures. They're angels, but these four creatures, and they're just so unusual. And he, he goes into a description of what they look like and what they're doing. 
And so there's these four creatures, these angels, they have wings, and he talks about them being like covered with eyes. It's like weird, right? And they surround the throne of God. And all they do day and night forever and ever is say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Why do they do that? I don't think they're just repeating something because they're supposed to. Why is it that that's all they can say? There's something to learn from these creatures, these angels. First of all, they are basically designed. Now, think about this. They are basically designed to receive revelation uh, on the nature of God. That's their purpose. They're designed for that purpose. They have wings so they can fly. They can get to any angle around the throne of God. They're covered with eyes. It's, it's around and within, and they're designed to be able to see every position, every angle, every perspective. And they're also designed to be close in proximity to the throne of God and not die. <laughs> and so if you want to go to someone who's very close to the glory of God and find out what it's like, you look to these creatures. But what are they doing? Are they doing a huge, long exposition on all of the attributes of God? And it, No, they're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So something is happening the closer they get to God. What I see as just a passion to just repeat, he's holy, he's holy. That is what overcomes them. And then their focus is on him alone. So they're teaching us about proximity and focus. And that is bringing them, that's causing this, this process that I'm talking about, where you, you see God, and then it draws this response out. And it's like the closer you get, and the more you focus, the more that happens. Did you know that a magnifying glass can start a fire? I mean, you probably knew that. But it's interesting because a magnifying glass doesn't produce any heat, right? It doesn't produce any heat. It focuses heat. And focus leads to fire. And so what I'm saying is, is if you come in here and you feel like you're just going through the motions, you go through a worship service like what we just did, and it's like, I just, it's not doing anything inside. I'm just not getting it, right? I see people around me and they're worshiping God and it seems like something's happening and I want to, but it's just not happening. Proximity and focus. Maybe one of the things that's happening is you're standing far off. God's saying, come near. Come here. Come close to me. And you're like, eh, I don't know about that. Or maybe another thing that might be happening, and this is likely, is that your focus is cloudy and blurred. You've come in here. It's been a rough week. 
Or maybe it's just there's things going on in your life that are just calling for your attention in other areas, and you don't have a singular focus. But if you would put your focus on him, it creates passion. It creates fire. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, if any of you were here last night, we're going to do this a little different than what we did before. Um, And we're going to take some time as we look at this and actually do it. And we're going to keep participating. We're going to keep uh, encountering the presence of God. What do you think about that? It's good. So, like I said, just stay in this place. And as we do this next song, I want you to let the truth of who God is draw a response out of you. And you think about those angels that surround the throne of God. They may be closer to the throne of God than any other living creature in existence. And yet the response that just comes out of them day and night forever and ever is holy, holy, holy. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. When we see your greatness, your holiness, Lord, we respond. You are great. You are greatly to be praised. Holy, righteous, completely set apart. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, you are above all. We give you glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. It's going to be some up and down today. Worship is a response. Worship is also a privilege and something that we have to do, I think, on a regular basis, all of us, is we have to be reminded of what needed to take place in order for what just happened to be able to happen. Because God originally intended for us to be able to approach him boldly. But then man chose sin. Man chose separation over relationship. And threw everything into a tailspin. And um, last week when Jake was preaching, he was talking about how the God of the Old Testament has not gone away. God says he's never changed. And it got me thinking about how different things were before the cross. How just what we just did wasn't possible before Jesus came. And um, you think about Moses, how he wanted to see the glory of God. And it's Exodus 33, he says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But he said, 
you cannot see my face. For no man, for man shall not see me and live. It's important to understand that when God says, man shall not see me and live, it's not because he's protecting a secret. You know, it's not like he's saying, well, you saw my face, so now I'm going to have to kill you. That's not what was going on. God's saying to Moses, if I exposed my full glory to you, you wouldn't make it. You wouldn't survive. Our earthly bodies are not designed to be able to withstand that kind of intensity. And if you have ever been, and again, I'm not trying, this is not, I'm not intentionally trying to make any of this seem strange or bizarre, but it's hard to make encounters with the eternal living God seem mundane and normal, right? And so any of you who have ever had a really intense encounter with the presence of God understand that it is very, very intense. And it's easy to understand that if you were in a place where you were exposed, unfiltered to the full glory of God, there'd be no coming back. You would just, it's like you can't stand at ground zero on a, you know, a nuclear blast. You can't stand behind a jet engine. You just aren't designed to handle that. And God's saying, man shall not see me and live. And before Jesus came, before the cross, the way that we, humanity, the people of God, interacted with the presence of God was very, very, very different. In fact, there was only one day of the year. The Day of Atonement, one person could enter this place called the holiest place where the presence of God was. And it was under uh, strict rules, strict regulations. It had to be a certain way. It was for a certain reason. And these rules and rituals were set up as a provision because of man's choice to sin. Because sin had to be dealt with. You understand the rules and the regulations and all of that ritual was not the way. Do you think that Adam had to go through all that when he walked with God in the cool of the garden? No. It was a relationship, not a ritual. But before Jesus, there was a ritual. There were rules. Leviticus 16.2, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. (laughs) What we just did, we encountered the presence of God. Before Jesus came, that would cost you your life, what you just did. And we have to understand the privilege that we have now to be able to do that and the price that was paid. Because there was a clear separation between us and, and God. It wasn't allowed. And it wasn't allowed because God was holding us at arm's length because he was just tired of us and, and fed up with, you know, just stay away. 
And it wasn't allowed because God was somehow afraid of our iniquity or hiding from our sin. It's not that the holiness of God couldn't handle our sin. It's that our sin couldn't handle the holiness of God. And it had to be dealt with in order for us to be able to enter God's presence. But I believe that God has always wanted us to come into his presence. Always. It's always been his desire. I think you can establish pretty clearly that the reason God created man, mankind, is that he wanted to be a father with a family. And his desire has always been for us to come close. So Matthew twenty-seven fifty. here's what happened when Jesus died. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So what is the curtain of the temple? Well, I just read to you, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil so that he may not die. It's the same thing. The curtain, the veil, is, this, is the symbolic representation of what separated God and man. And when Jesus died, when he paid the price, when he dealt with our sin, God immediately reached down himself and ripped the veil in two. The righteousness of Jesus has become our righteousness through the cross and our permission to approach God. So that's the price that he paid so that you could go into God's presence. I want to read something to you, and we're going to sing again. Um, But this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I'm reading it to you out of the Passion Translation. You can go back and read it out of King James, and it says basically the same thing. So I'm not, this isn't some weird thing, but I like the way that it puts it. And it says, starting in verse 19, it says, and now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn into, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And since we now have a magnificent king priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. That ought to get somebody excited. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, and we have been freed from an accusing conscience, and now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. Let's just give Jesus praise for what he did. Thank you, God. Jesus, we just thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for what you did. Thank you for the terrible price that you paid to open up a way. Jesus, you made a way where there was no way. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, 
that it was so important to you that we be reunited, that that separation be torn into, that you sent your son to pay a terrible price because that's how much you want us in your presence. Lord, we don't take it for granted. It's a privilege. It's an honor, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you, God, for the privilege and the honor. And we will never take it for granted. We will never take for granted the price you paid that we could just come into your presence. We thank you now, God. You're so good. You're so awesome. God, we're just overcome with how great you are, how wonderful you are. We bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated. These last couple points really are kind of just one point um, as we head for some kind of a landing here. We said that worship is a response. We said that worship is a privilege. Worship is also a choice. It's a choice. It's not automatic. Refer to Jake again here. He talked about last week going into McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. And coming to church doesn't make you a worshiper. You have to choose to do it. And sometimes it's not easy to make that choice. As much as... incredible the privilege and the honor is that we just talked about there are still times that it's hard to worship because sometimes life is hard sometimes life is confusing sometimes we just get distracted and it's not easy to choose to worship but worship is yet a choice Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to say it, 317 says this, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now listen, in the context and the culture of that time, he might as well have said, though the bank account be empty and all my bills are due, though the doctor said I need surgery and I don't have the money to pay it, though my car be broken down and I can't even afford gas for it, yet will I praise the Lord. I will find my joy in the God of my salvation. When we don't feel like worshiping, sometimes you have to take your feelings into your own hands and get aggressive. Now, King David probably wrote about worship more than anybody else in the Bible. I mean, he wrote most of the book of Psalms. And one of the things he's known for is being a worshiper. 
And all throughout the Psalms, you see things like this. Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. What's he doing? He's talking to his own soul, his mind, will, and emotions. He's talking to himself. The part of him that doesn't want to bless God, he's correcting. He does, look at this, he does it in um, Psalms 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Sometimes it's okay to talk to yourself. You're not crazy. Sometimes that's what it takes. And sometimes the, the, the irony, I guess, is that when you don't feel like worshiping God, that's the thing you need to do the most. Because worship does something inside you. Now, the purpose of worship is not to just do something inside you, but yet that is what happens. Worship elevates your perspective. And whether you realize this or not, most of the problems and the issues we deal with it's not even the problem itself that's the problem. It's our perception of the problem. And when we worship God, our perspective gets lifted up. And we begin to see things in the light of truth. And we begin to look, rather than looking at our situation, we begin to look at God. And then all of a sudden we begin to remember, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no. God is much bigger than this. I don't need to worry about this. Why am I worrying about this? We're like, David, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why, why is there turmoil within me? Hope in God. Worship does that. Worship changes the way we see things. And when you begin to do that, see, here's the thing. The Bible says that inside you, because God lives there, there is a, there is a well, a resource, a storehouse of peace and joy and strength. And when you begin to worship, that opens up and it begins to fill you and things begin to change. So worship worship is a choice. Worship is a choice. And then the last point, and this connects right into that one, is worship is an antidote to fear. It's an antidote to fear. Because fear is kind of like a poison that gets in your system. It gets in your veins. It gets in you. And worship acts as an antidote that neutralizes that. It's an antidote to fear. Psalms 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. Worship puts things in a new context. Um, to praise God is to agree with what he's already said about himself. It's to agree with what he's already said he's going to do or has done. Worship is coming into agreement with that. Worship is coming into alignment with that. And on the other hand, fear 
What you fear will influence what you worship. What you fear will influence what you worship. Fear is, in a sense, a form of worship, not the good kind. Because what fear does is it brings you into agreement with what the enemy says he wants to do to you. But the enemy doesn't have power to do that. But when you fear, you give him power. And so when you worship, you are, you are entering into a type of powerful warfare. And listen, I know, I know that we all deal with forms of fear. We all do. When we shut up our fear and we worship God, we enter into warfare with that fear. When you worship, you are wielding a weapon that is terribly destructive on the enemy. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Now, again, that's not why we worship. That's not the reason. That's not what worship is. But that is what happens. And when you are facing fear, when you're facing stress, worry, and you choose to worship God, all of those chains that the enemy has carefully forged around your heart begin to get broken and crushed. And you begin to go free. Because that's what happens in worship. That's what worship does. Now listen, I do, like I said, I believe that almost, probably almost everybody in here is dealing with some level, some form of fear, stress, worry, anxiety. Uh, I am. I mean, I think that's kind of comes with the package here in this world, but it doesn't have to be our experience. So here's what we're going to do. This is all very interesting to talk about, but we're going to do one more song. And we're going to actually allow this to happen. And we're going to receive this. So um, as we stand up one more time, those of you who are fighting some form of fear, worry, stress, anxiety, I want you to just push, put your hand on your heart. Because fear will try to get at our thoughts. But it's only trying to get at our thoughts so that it can get to our heart. And so we're going to put our hand on our heart. And as the worship team does this song, we're going to respond to who God is. We're going to choose to worship him. And then that fear and that anxiety is going to begin to just get crushed inside of us and just receive that. Amen.